Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family and uh, hey if you got your Bibles head over to John chapter 14 15 and 16 and hey um, if last week was your first time with us ever at Easter welcome back we do this every week and uh, it's really good uh, to see you and um, man I do just want to celebrate um, some things that happened last last week in our church I left last uh, Easter weekend like absolute ministry high for me um, and honestly I, I just left just wanting to say like man I love you guys so much, and I am so proud of our church. Uh, we're going to later in the service kind of celebrate. We had an absolute tidal wave of salvation. Um, but real quick, I do just want to kind of point out some, some numbers for you, just to keep you updated on how stuff's going in our church. So last week, across all of our locations, our physical in-person attendance total ended up being 28,762 people, which is awesome. That's right, man. We're excited about that. And then... Um, obviously, uh, hey, uh, Lake Point uh, Church Online, Lake Point Nation, we don't want to forget about you. And so uh, including everybody online all in, our total Easter attendance ended up being 48,883 people. That's great, man. Yeah, preaching Jesus. And um, man, I know some people hear that and like, oh man, it'll be a big church. That's why you care about the numbers. Listen, we don't care about the numbers. We care about people and we care about the numbers because every number is a person. And every person matters to God. And so man, well, yeah, we do. We care about all, all those people. We really do. And just excited about that. All right. Well, hey, um, we are starting a new series this week that uh, I got some, some fire pent up in the bones. And, uh, and so, uh, like I said, head over to uh, John 14. And, and let me lead into this. So we are starting a series that we're just calling um, There Is More, um, five weeks just teaching on the Holy Spirit. I am really excited about this. Been doing a lot of reading um, in prep for this series. Now, I always want to give credit where it's due, and I always want to point you to good Bible teaching. So you personally, your life group, your growth group, whoever. Um, here are some just books that really informed me as I prepared this series, and maybe you can grab them, kind of study along with me. Um, number one, this is a book called Joy Unspeakable by an old dead British guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. By the way, this is like a top five most formative book in my life across my entire life. Strongly recommend. Number two, from a local Dallas area pastor, it's a book called The God I Never Knew um, by Pastor Robert Morris um, in our area. Just great accessible Bible teaching. And I read the third one on Kindle, so I do not have a hard copy. Um, it is just called Jesus Continued by Pastor J.D. Greer. And almost everything you'll hear during this series, um, it, a way of teaching a passage came um, from one of those resources. So grab those. You can kind of dive in with me. And uh, let me just kind of, uh, let me lead into the series like this. Um, one of my favorite things right now 
when new people come to our church is I love watching people try to figure out what denomination Lake Point is. Um, I just like watching it. You know, people will be around and, uh, and maybe they'll visit a life group or, or whatever. They'll watch and they'll see, man, they, they really care about the Bible. They're preaching verse by verse or we're studying verse by verse. Really care about good doctrine and theology. And they go, oh, they, they probably got Presbyterian roots. You know, and this one person down here, yes, real quiet, you know, Presbyterians, got to keep it calm, you know. And then, uh, and then they'll, they'll see us worship, or uh, they may come to a, a worship and prayer night, and they're like, oh, they're charismatic, I guarantee it. And then, uh, and then they'll see kind of what we pour into global missions and, and missionaries and reaching the lost and church planting, and they go, ah, figured it out. These are the Baptists, you know, that kind of thing. And so more and more what we hear is that we'll hear this. They'll say, man, Lake Point is presbapticostal. That's what they'll say. Um, and what that means is that we are predestined to speak in tongues at a potluck dinner. That's what that means. And, uh, and now here's what we're going to do during this series, five weeks in the Holy Spirit. We're going to lean into the costal, all right? And so uh, everybody just buckle up. That's what we're doing. We're going to lean in. We're going to lean in five weeks um, on the Holy Spirit. And, and let me do this. Um, let, me, uh, let me begin with where the title for this series came from, There Is More. This is a passage in Acts 19, and uh, you, y'all are going to help me say the, uh, the yellow words out loud, okay? So here's what it says. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, and he arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some, some what? Some disciples. That's great. Now, every single time in the New Testament the word disciples is used, it's always, it's descri- maybe with the exception of one, it's describing disciples of a certain person. So there were disciples of Jesus. That's right. Okay, now listen, if you're hesitant, uh, if I ask you a question, you can just shout Jesus. It's probably going to be the right answer in church. Okay, so, so disciples of Jesus. And, and I asked them, did, here's the question. He goes, hey, okay, you're a disciple. But, but did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, you say it for me, when you believe? So these are disciples of Jesus who had already believed the gospel. And Paul comes, he's like, hey, awesome. Okay, so you're following Jesus. That's a win. You believe the gospel, check mark, uh, and, and, you know, you're you're Christians. That's great, awesome. He goes, hey, one more question. Uh, What's your relationship with the Holy Spirit like? And and watch what they say. They they say this. They say, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. That that sounds weird. You know, what's the whole deal, you know, with the Holy Spirit? And so Paul comes along and he's got to explain to them what it means to have a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then this is what happens in the next uh, verse, in verse 6. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Now, I point this out because I think this was, that was a unique time in redemptive history. Acts is a little unique, but I think it's a good illustration of what a lot of people's relationship with God is like. Is you're in this spot. You're like, hey, I'm a Christian. Check. I believe the gospel. Check. I'm following, trying to follow Jesus. Yep, I'm in for for all that. But honestly, when it comes to teaching on the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like, I I haven't even really heard most of that stuff. That's just just different. Some of you, you may have, uh, you know, grown up in churches, like, you know, some of the things I felt like I experienced where um, it was just avoidance. And it was like, man, Holy Spirit, we don't really talk, we don't really, you know, talk about the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, the, the functional trinity uh, for you was the Father, the, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and, and the Holy Bible. Father, Son, and Holy Bible, you know. That was your functional trinity. Uh, for some of you, it, it wasn't ignorance. Honestly, it was avoidance. And here's why. Either you saw, uh, you saw unethical uh, or just immoral things done in places where people talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. Or 
everybody you ever met who talked about the Holy Spirit, they were just weird. They were just weird people, just super emotional and really irrational, no logic, no wisdom, no strategy. And uh, they didn't seem to be able to tell the difference between the voice of God and the burrito they ate last night. And it's like, these are weird people, weird, weird, weird people. And so for you, it's like, in your mind, the Trinity is like the Father's the mean one, the Son's the nice one, and the Spirit's the weird one. And I just want to avoid that, okay? Well, what I want to do in this series is, can I just say something to you? Hey, hey, listen, if that's you and you're going, I'm following Jesus, I believe the gospel, all that stuff, guys, listen to me. There is more. God wants to have a vibrant relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. He wants that. And what we want to do for the next five weeks is we want to dive into that and go, okay, God, everything that you've got on offer for me, I want that. I want your presence. I want your power. I want your voice. I want a relationship with you. Let's go all in. And so that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. So if you, if you got your Bibles, dive in with me. We're starting here in John 14. We're going to read from John 14, 15, and 16. That's going to be. Now let me get a little context. What we're reading here is the last 12 hours of Jesus' life. John 14 happens in the upper room, not the upper room in, in the book of Acts, the upper room where the Last Supper happened. And at the end of John 14, so that's all upper room, Last Supper. End of John 14, Jesus says, arise, let us go. Most Bible scholars, Jesus uh, thinks immediately Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane or the Mount of Olives because uh, first verse in John 15 is when Jesus starts going, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So they think Jesus pointed at something in the garden and went, hey, I'm I'm like that. And then John 15 and 16 are the last things Jesus teaches before his crucifixion. So I want you to think about this. John 14, 15, 16, the last things Jesus tells his disciples before he's crucified. And here's the context. He says this. He says, I'm going away, but don't uh, freak out. He says, don't uh, don't be troubled because I'm going to send somebody else. And he spends these chapters introducing them to the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that's what we want to do. Pick up with me in John 14, starting verse 16. Jesus says this. I'm going I'm to highlight some words for you. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, if you got a pen or a pencil, circle the word helper. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, that's who the helper is, whom the world cannot receive. In other words, the world's not going to receive this. It's going to be a little off their radar, a little weird for them. They're not going to receive it. Because it neither, watch this, sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now you may be going, Josh, that's getting really annoying. Why are you emphasizing all the pronouns? Okay, well, here's why. Whole world's freaking out about pronouns. Let's make sure we get God's right. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so let's do this. Okay, here's why I say that. All right, just hang out. Here's why I say that. The Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. It always refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. Now, why do I say that? Okay, because if you don't think of the Holy Spirit as a person, you'll never develop a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to develop a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit because He is a person. Okay, do we all understand that? 
That's what God wants, okay? Now, keep going with me. You're going to notice we circled the word helper. I want to show you a few other things. John 16, Quentin Tarantino style. Let's skip to the end first. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. In other words, he's going, you're never going to believe what I'm about to say. You're never going to believe this. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, let me pause right here and point something out. Jesus, this is one of the most astounding things the Bible ever says, in, in my opinion. Jesus looks at disciples he's been walking with personally for three years, and he goes, hey, actually, guys, you're going to be better off if I leave. It's to your advantage. Now, can I ask you this question, class? Let's be, be, be our seminary the, theology class real quick. Class, how in the world could it possibly be better for the disciples and us if Jesus went away than if he were here on earth with us right now. I mean, can, seriously, can you imagine what it was like to like walk around physically with Jesus for three years? Uh, you have any hard theological question, bam, Jesus answers it. Uh, you're at a party and they run out of food. All you need is a couple chicken minis. Jesus can feed everybody. You, listen, you could have Chick-fil-A on Sundays if Jesus was alive right now. That's a miracle. That's amazing. I mean, how in the world could anything be better than that? You know, your, uh, your dog dies. Jesus just, boom, resurrects it. Your cat dies. Jesus digs a hole to help you dig the, bury the bone. <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, that's two weeks in a row. I'll lay off for a while. Now, let me just, <clears throat> let me ask this. How in the world could it be better for us that Jesus went away and sent the Spirit? Well, well watch this. When Jesus was on earth, he could be beside one person at one time doing one thing. But now that he sent the Spirit, Jesus is inside every Christian, everywhere, helping everyone. It's better. It's better. The Holy Spirit inside you, that's right, is better. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Okay? Now, I want, to, I want you to see a theme develop in the Bible. We're going to do a lot of Bible today. John 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. By the way, that's how the apostles wrote the Bible with no errors. The Holy Spirit was bringing to their mind exactly word for word what Jesus told them. And by the way, the Holy Spirit will still bring to your mind truth. I'm going to get to that in a second in your personal relationship with him. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, that's who the helper is, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, okay? Now, we circled this word helper over and over and over. Uh, this word is notoriously hard to translate. We do not have an English equivalent for this word in, uh, for the Greek word in our English language. It's the Greek word parakletos, comes from two Greek words, para, which means alongside, and kletos, which means to come. Parakletos, to come alongside. In fact, we, we know this. In the English language, we have some words that have that prefix para in them. Pa the word parable, pa Jesus told parables, para, alongside, bale, means to throw. So when Jesus would teach a parable, he would throw a story alongside a truth. Okay, I'll give you another one. Um, we use the English word paragraph. Para alongside, graphe, to write. Paragraphs are writings alongside of each other. Parakletos, alongside and to come. The Holy Spirit is the one who, watch this, comes alongside of us. 
Uh, this word's translated in tons of different ways in different translations. Some translations call him the consoler. Some translations translate it the intercessor. Um, others translate it, 1 John, advocate. Some of you guys who remember the old King James translated, I like this, translated it the comforter. The comforter. Now, I want to make a point on this really quick, okay? So let me, let me make a point. When Jan and I got married, I learned really, really fast, like a lot of men in the room, that there were a lot of things in our house that were only for looks and not for use, okay? I learned that really, really quick, okay? Now, I'm, let me give you an example of this. When I tell this story, um, I need the ladies in the room to signal at exactly the point when I did the wrong thing. Okay, so you, and all the ladies will know. Okay, so Jan and I, we got, first got married. Uh, we were a single income, rural youth ministry family, uh, which meant, guys, we were, bro- we, we, were t- we were too broke to get, pay attention, you know. Was, and so uh, Jana, we had some family coming in one time, and Jana uh, wanted to decorate our only bathroom. And so she, uh, she went out and she wanted to buy some really nice monogrammed guest towels. <laughs> okay, yeah, we already see where this is going. All right, so Jana goes out, and she spends what to us was a fortune. I mean, I think these things were like 30 or $40, and, and Jana gets these, and they were beautiful, big, white, that's important, white, fluffy guest towels, and, uh, and hangs them in, in our bathroom. And uh, one day, I'm taking a shower, and I forgot to bring a towel with me to the, yeah, okay, you know, to the shower, and uh, as soon as I uh, finish my shower, um, I look out and I'm like, oh, I for- forgot a towel. And then um, I look at these big, beautiful, fluffy, white guest towels. And it, here's how I would say it. I did what any sane person would do. <laughs> is I grabbed the towels, by the way, that I just bought and I just started drying off with our new guest house. Well, it just so happened, Jana walked in almost that exact same moment. And Jana asked the question that I've learned, women love to ask this question. Josh, what are you doing? And anytime Jana says that, my initial response is, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I don't know what I'm, you, in fact, I'm thinking, you tell me what I'm doing. I'll do it. I don't know what I'm doing. And so Jana, you know, I'm like, I'm just, I'm drying off, you know. And then she goes to the next question. Well, why would you do that? Okay? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. You tell me why I would do that. I'm thinking, man, I was wet. I was naked. There was a towel. I don't know. Why would I? I don't know. And then Jana said this. She said, Josh, those towels are never to be used. Okay. Now, can I just point this out? For all of the women who think that I'm the idiot, can I just point this out? It is insane to me that I have towels in my house that I bought with my name on them that you can use, but I can't. That's insane. I just want to, I'm, thank you for the three men that are applauding. Thank you. That's insane. Okay. Now, I've since learned we have other things in our house that are also never to be used. Okay. For, here's one of the things we have. We have a comforter in our house that I'm not allowed to use. That's what that is. That is our old bedroom. And that's a, by the way, an expensive comforter at the bottom of the bed, never to be used. I've learned that. Now, can I just shift gears and say something very serious to you? This comforter is for use. 
He's for use. He wants to empower, encourage, and enable us all. And in fact, God purchased his presence in your life for you to use him. God wants that. Okay? God wants that. Now, okay, three ways that God wants us to use the Holy Spirit. This is the whole sermon. Three quick ways God wants to use the Holy Spirit. Number one, he's my helper. He's my helper. We, we saw this in the passage. Let me, let me show you how he helps us, okay? John 16, 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. No, I'm going to have to, we'll get there in a second, Jesus is saying. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's talking about the uh, authorship of the New Testament and, and other things that we'll get there later in the series. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears. Now, I've got three words that are in all caps, bold, and underlined, and I want you to hear, say them with me out loud. Let me, let me start back up here. But whatever he hears, he will speak. Now, now listen. He will speak. That settles all argument about whether the Holy Spirit still speaks or not. It says right there, he will speak. We'll get to this later in the series. The Holy Spirit appears 59 times in the book of Acts. In 38 of them, he's speaking. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. So here's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us to know what to say. He'll bring to your mind truth that you need in a moment. Uh, let me give you an example that happens to me all, nearly every single week. When I'm doing sermon prep, it's not just like math and science to me. I'm praying and asking God, I need you to tell me what to say to your people. And very often there'll be a passage, an illustration, a way of saying something, a phrase that the Spirit will give me. And he's like, I need you to say that. Or I'll be praying over somebody in the lobby and I'll pray something the Spirit will bring to mind and here's what somebody will say. They'll say this after a message or me praying. They'll go, how did you know? How did you know? I just read that exact same passage like this morning. How in the world did you do that? And of course, I always say the same thing because I'm brilliant. You know, that's it. No, that's not, that's not actually what I say. Here's what I actually say. What I really say is that was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that. He helps us know what to say. And then let, me, let me give you another one that, that some of y'all really need to lean into. He helps us to know what not to say. Uh, have you ever had this thing happen to you where you're getting ready to say something and you've got to check in your spirit and you say to yourself, I, you know, I really, I probably shouldn't say this. And then what do you do? You say it. Hey, don't do that. Quit doing that. Because let me just tell you this. Here's a mistake a lot of Christians make. They become Christians, they get passionate about their walk with the Lord, and then they got people around them that aren't walking with God, and they want them to walk with God. And so what a lot of Christians do is they think the answer is to get really, really loud about what that person needs to be doing, or they should be doing, or you need this, or this would help you, and they get really, really loud. Can I just say something to you? Sometimes your voice gets so loud that those people can't hear the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, sometimes he'll tell you what not to say. So number one, he helps me. Number two, uh, let me just say it like this and explain it. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, as soon as I say that, it, it feels negative. In fact, let me, let me show you this in the passage. Just pick up with me in John 16, 8. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, and righteousness and judgment. Now, this is a spot in the sermon where uh, you guys got to put on your theological thinking caps for a second, and I got to do some work because the Holy Spirit has gotten a bad rap, a very bad rap. And because of that, a lot of people, when they read that, they see this as negative. In other words, the Holy Spirit's here, sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's here to tell you, you're messing up, 
You better live right or God's going to get you. That's how people think about negative. It's not negative at all. In fact, in the next verses, what Jesus does is he explains for each of the three what it means for the Spirit to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it uses the word because to shed light on why the Spirit, what it means for the Spirit to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let me show you this, okay? So uh, look at this with me. Uh, John 16, 9. Concerning sin, here it comes, because they do not believe in me. So what's the Spirit doing? Convicting of sin because they don't believe in me. Let me explain this real quick, okay? Now, this is one of my, I'm getting ready to have a Bible nerd geek out moment. I need you to pretend you think this is awesome if you don't think it's awesome, because I think it's really awesome and I need you to enjoy it with me, okay? So you remember this, okay? The Holy, you guys help me out. Bible trivia, don't yell Jesus this time. It's not the right answer. Okay, Bible trivia. The first time the Holy Spirit falls and descends in, on everybody, on the apostles and everybody in the New Testament, is in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. Great job, okay? Now, why did the Holy Spirit fall on Pentecost? Okay, well, here's what's happening. Pentecost was a feast, the feast of Pentecost. And here's what Pentecost means. Watch this. Penta means five, like, like Pentagon, five-sided. Penta, five. Costa is a Greek suffix that means to the 10th power. Here's all Pentecost means. It means 50th. Now, why was the Feast of Pentecost called the 50th? Well, here's why. Because it celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. And the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, watch, happened 50 days after the first Passover. So this is what's happening, is at the Feast of Pentecost, they're celebrating the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Now watch this, God intentionally connects the giving of the law that convicted of sin with the presence of the Holy Spirit by him coming at Pentecost. Now watch this, this is the spot where I'm going to geek out and I need y'all to see how awesome this is, okay? This is, the Bible's amazing, so watch this. At the original giving of the law on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, watch this, there was a loud noise. A cloud descended, there was fire, God wrote his law on tablets of stone, and 3,000 people died. Now fast forward to Pentecost in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit falls, they're celebrating that. Now watch this, there's a loud noise, the cloud of the Spirit descends, there was fire, divided tongues of fire came to rest on the apostles. God wrote his law on men's hearts, and 3,000 people were saved. That's awesome. That's awesome. I don't care who you are. That's awesome, okay? Now, let me ask you this, okay? Why is God connecting the giving of the law that convicted of sin and the presence of the Spirit and people being saved. Why is God connecting the giving of the law and people being saved? Well, here's why. Because the law convicts of sin. And watch this. Until we see our sin, we'll never see our need for a Savior. Why does the Holy Spirit convict of sin? Not to make you feel bad. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin so that you'll run to Jesus and get your sin forgiven. Uh, one of the old Puritans said it like this. He said, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. I, I when, when God saved me, I think I was a, a sophomore in high school when I was saved. I'm not quite sure. I had a lot of, it was more like a dimmer switch than a light, light switch for me. But I, here's what I remember is I had been sinning and doing some really terrible things and I, it didn't bother me at all. But in that moment in my bedroom as a sophomore in high school, when God saved me, the thing I remember most is the deep conviction. 
I felt guilty and ashamed because I was guilty and I was doing shameful things. It brought conviction of sin, and then I ran to Jesus. And the Spirit convicts you of sin so that you'll run to Jesus. When we see that we're great sinners, we'll see He's a great Savior. So He convicts of sin. Number two, watch this, John 16, 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Okay, now, again, theological thinking caps. I'm getting ready to use some big theological words. Every time I do this, there's somebody that's like, we shouldn't use those big theological words in church. You got to use tiny little words that everybody already understands, okay? Let me defend myself really quick, okay? Here's my philosophy. If you can learn the language to order at Starbucks, I can use theological language in church. <laughs> that's my philosophy. Get off my lawn, okay? So, so here's a, the same guy that's going to tell me you shouldn't use those big words nobody understands in church. He's going to walk across the street and order a venti caramel macchiato crunch frap. I'm like, bro, if you can learn how to order that, I can say justification. You're just fine. You, and, and you ought to order it just black coffee like God intended. That's what, okay. So let me do this. <laughs> let me do this. So why does the Holy Spirit convict us of righteousness? Okay, well, let's do this. All right, get ready. Here we go. Well, here's why. Four words I need to explain to you. Propitiation, justification, atonement, and righteousness. Okay? Propitiation. Now, Romans 3 says that God put forward Jesus as, quote, a propitiation for our sins. Here's what propitiation means. It means a payment that satisfies. What that means is that every single time you sinned, that you incurred a debt before God, and there was no hope of you ever repaying that debt. And so what God did is he put forward his son and shed the blood of his own son as a payment for your sin. And that payment satisfied God's justice so that you won't have to pay for your sin. Jesus already did that. And so at the cross, this is why the last thing Jesus yells out on the cross is he cried out, it is finished. The Greek word for it is finished that gets translated it is finished, it's the Greek word tetelestai. Do you know what they use the Greek word tetelestai on? That's what in ancient Rome they would write on receipts between merchants and buyers. When a buyer had incurred a debt with a merchant, they would be put on a receipt. And when that buyer had paid his debt in full, the merchant would scribble tetelestai over the receipt as if to say, debt paid in full. And when Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood for you, God put him forward as a propitiation, a payment that satisfied God's justice for your sin. And then he screamed out, paid in full. So you'll never have to pay that. So that's propitiation. Now watch this. Because Jesus was put forward as a propitiation uh, payment that satisfies, what that means is that Romans 3 says that now we have been justified freely by his grace. Now, what does the word justified mean? Watch this. Think about the word justified, just if I'd. That now because my sin has been totally paid for, now God has removed my sinful past and supplied Jesus' sinless past so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sinful past. He sees Jesus' sinless past. And when he looks at me, it's just as if I'd never sinned. We are justified freely by his grace. Let me just ask this question. Do not answer this question out loud. People have disobeyed at every service and all of them have been embarrassed. It's intentionally a trick question. So here's my question. Are Christians saved by good works? Yes, just not ours. 
Jesus' perfect, sinless life was put forward for us, and we were given that. We gave him our sin. We got his sinlessness. So now we've been justified. When God looks at, looks at us, it's just as if we'd never sinned. And because, we, because Jesus has been put forward as a payment that satisfies, and we've been justified, it's just as if we'd never sinned. What the Bible says is it says that we have been, uh, he was a sacrifice of atonement. Do you know what atonement means? Look at the word atonement. Atonement means at one meant. That now the presence of God and the people of God are no longer separated because of sin. Sin separates because Jesus paid for that sin. Now the presence of God can dwell with the people of God, which is why you can have the Holy Spirit. Because we have now been made at one with God. This is why when Jesus died on the cross, the second he died, the Bible says the veil in the tabernacle that separated the Holy of Holies from the people, the presence of God from the people of God. The second Jesus died, that veil was torn. And it wasn't torn from bottom to top because we got to work our way up. It was torn from top to bottom because God came down and he paid the penalty for our sin and he supplied his righteousness for us so that now the presence of God and the people of God can dwell together. You are now at one with God. You're his kids. You're his sons and his daughters. We can freely approach the throne of grace because we've been made at one with God, at one minute. So watch this. Jesus was the payment that satisfies. That justified us. It's just as if we'd never sinned. Because we've been justified, we are now at one with God, which leads us to this passage which says the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. It does not say he convicts us of righteous living. Now listen, the Spirit does help us with righteous living. When you were saved, guys, God did not just free you from the penalty of sin. He wanted to free you from sin's power. He wants you to be conformed into the image of Jesus and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so listen to me, whatever sin enslaves you, you can be free by the power of the spirit. You can walk in righteousness and have a new life, but you can do that. But that's not what this passage is talking about. It doesn't say he convicts of righteous living. It says he convicts of righteousness. What's righteousness? Watch this. Think about the word righteousness. Right means rightness. So that now, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, and what's happening is when the Holy Spirit, quote, convinces us of our righteousness, his is the voice that when you sin, he comes along inside of you and he goes, hey, remember Jesus? Jesus was already crucified for that sin, so you don't have to crucify yourself for that sin anymore. Jesus was already pay- made the payment for that sin, and so his is the voice that comes along inside of you and goes, hey, you and God, you're still good. You're still at one. God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ. And that's always perfect. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and he reminds you, you are in right standing with God. That's what it means for the Spirit to convict of righteousness. Now last one, it says this in John 16, 11, concerning judgment. Watch this, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Spirit is not convicting you that you will be judged. The Spirit convinces you that Satan has already been judged. That's what this means. In other words, he's, Jesus is telling them, he's saying, Satan is about to be dethroned. I'm going to take away his authority. He used to have authority to condemn people on the basis of their sin, but I'm going to take away that authority by being condemned for everybody else's sin. And so he convicts the world that Satan has already been judged and he no longer has any authority over you. So let me get back to the whole reason I said all of this stuff, okay? When it says he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, people see the Holy Spirit as negative and they think here's what he does. He's going, you're a sinner, 
You're not living right, and God's going to get you. Negative. Sinner, not living right, God's going to get you. No. No. He's here to convict you of your need for a Savior. Once you receive that Savior, He convicts you that you're in right standing with God. And now that He convicts you you're in right standing with God, He also convicts you that Satan has had all of his authority taken away and he has no more authority over you. That's what the Spirit does. It's good news. That's right. He's bringing good news alongside of you in your life. So He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, last one. Let me finish here. Point number three is... He's not weird. <laughs> and honestly, some of you just, that's all, the thing you most needed to hear in this whole sermon is he's not weird. Now, I heard somebody say it like this. Uh, there's a poll out there that says that one in three people in America are weird. So look to your left. <laughs> so we got somebody volunteering back there. I'm the weird. Okay. So one in three, look to your left, look to your right. If it wasn't one of them, you're the weird one. It's you. It's you, okay? Now, that, that's just a joke. Now, watch this. In all reality, let me shift to a little more serious. There are a lot of people who resist any talk about activity of the Spirit or any Bible teaching on the Spirit, very frankly, because everyone you've ever known that talked a lot about the Holy Spirit was weird. Okay? Can I just tell you something about those people? Those people would be weird without the Holy Spirit. They're just weird people. <laughs> That's all they are. They're just weird people, okay? In fact, again, let me downshift to a little more serious. Think about this. Guys, listen to me. The Holy Spirit is God. Who, who do you think would want to convince you to be skeptical or skittish of talking about God? Satan. That's a strategy that Satan has been using for centuries, is to try to get you to shy away or be nervous about a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit, because some people who talked about it were weird. So here's where I want to end, okay? Here's where I want to end. Uh, let me just do this. This is the passage that God used to kind of stir up the need for this, uh, this series in me. And here's what happens. So Acts 2, Holy Spirit's fallen, and this is what it says. The day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And watch this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So this amazing experience of the presence of God, his love poured out in their hearts, power and boldness for witness, all, anointing, all these things. And they began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Don't freak out. We'll talk about that later. I'll demystify it and answer all the questions. We'll get there, okay? But others, watch this. Others, mocking is what it says, said they are filled with new wine. Now, now listen. Every time that there's a great outpouring of God's Spirit, there are two types of people. There are people who experience him and people who mock him. And the people who mock him never get to experience him. Lake Point Church, we are not going to be those people. I want you to experience everything that God has on offer for you because he wants that for you. Here's how I want to end this. Would you do this with me? At all of our campuses, would you stand with me? And I want to lead us to pray two one-sentence prayers 
would you do this? Okay, outside of the series, if you're comfortable, if you're comfortable, the international sign of surrender in every nation on earth is just hands in the air. That's a posture of surrender. Would you do this right now if you're comfortable? And would you just close your eyes and would you just pray this silently in your own words in your seat? Would you just pray, God, if there is anything in me that is resistant to anything that you have for me, I'm surrendering that right now. You might right now be surrendering bitterness, which the Bible says grieves the spirit. You might be surrendering skepticism and unbelief, which the Bible says quenches the spirit. But right now what you're saying is, I'm surrendering anything inside of me that's resistant to you. Now do this. Would you lower your hands and put them in front of you like this, palms up, in a posture of receiving. A posture of receiving. And then would you close your eyes and just pray this silently in your own words in your seat. Just pray this. God, if there is anything you have for me that I am not yet experiencing, I want it all. Come Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you'd hear that prayer from thousands upon thousands of your kids. Your word says, what person, if his son asked for a fish, would give him a stone? And then your word says, in the same way that you will give the Holy Spirit to anybody who asks. And so Father, we pray for a great, unique pouring out of your spirit upon our people. God, would you open eyes? Would you set free? Would you give power? Would you please just anoint? Would your presence and relationship be near in a fresh way. And so God, would you do a new work in us? We love you. We want that for your glory. And we pray it in the crucified, risen name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.